The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. They called it the war to end all wars, which might be the biggest misstatement in history. But at least in the eyes of those who fought and died in World War I, it was widely believed that the idea that such a massive global conflict could ever happen again was unthinkable. By the time the war was going in full force, more than 70 million military personnel were mobilized on both sides. And by the time it was all over, estimates say that over 37 million people died. Throughout the war, there was likely no more deadly place to be than along the front lines. World War I brought with it many advancements in both technology and military strategy. And both sides used these new weapons and techniques to deadly effect. One of the most widespread military tactics used throughout the war was trench warfare, in which troops would dig massive trenches along the battle lines that they would then fortify with barbed wire, landmines, mortars, artillery, and all sorts of other armaments. The area between those lines, which might extend anywhere from several hundred to less than a dozen yards, earned a nickname of its own, No Man's Land. The term No Man's Land appears to date back to the 11th century, when a similar term, Nomanisland, was used to describe the area that lie just beyond London's city walls. That was the area where you dared not venture for fear of the dangers that lay beyond, In respect to the Great War, the name No Man's Land appears to have been first used by soldier and historian Ernest Swinton in a short story he wrote about life in the trenches. Life along the No Man's Land was a hellscape of endless violence and destruction. If you've ever seen the movie Wonder Woman, then you'll have seen a tiny glimpse of what it was like. Thick black smoke and the stench of decay hung in the air like a shroud. The sounds of explosions, gunfire and the echoing cries of the wounded and dying made for an endless, gut-wrenching soundtrack. Between the trenches, there was seldom any sign of life, save for the stretcher-bearers who went out periodically and risked life and limb to retrieve the mangled bodies from the bomb-scarred and muddy earth. There were even stories that spread among the troops about packs of feral wild men, made up of deserters from all sides, who preyed upon the other soldiers. Rumors abounded about groups of Germans, British, Canadians, French, Italians, Austrians, Australians, and Americans who collectively lost their minds and banded together into a primitive tribe that went out at night and scavenged food, clothing, and weapons from the bodies of the dead and dying. It didn't matter which side they were on, and when food was scarce, it was rumored these wild men of the trenches would even sometimes feast on the dead. But that's a story for another day. It's unknown whether there was any truth to these rumors about the wild men or not, 
but considering the chaos and violence around No Man's Land, it certainly remains within the realm of possibilities. But I'm not here to tell you about all the terrible things that occurred during World War I. Not today. Because this is a Christmas story. And there's one tale that emerged from the war that speaks to the best of humanity, however brief that moment may have been. It's a story that shows that no matter how estranged from one another we feel we may be, it's the simplest things that binds us together and gives us hope for peace and understanding. This is the story of the Christmas Truce. I'm Nate Hale, and those jerks wouldn't let me join in any of their reindeer games either. And this is The Conspirators. It was Christmas Eve, 1914. The fighting had remained fierce up until that night. There had been rumors ever since the Germans invaded Belgium back in August that the fighting would be over by Christmas. But those rumors were quickly proven false as the battle raged on and the death toll grew ever higher. For Christmas, in order to keep morale up, the German High Command sent down orders to increase their soldiers' liquor rations. German Crown Prince Wilhelm personally gave the order to distribute thousands of tiny Christmas trees complete with candles to light them to his men along the front. Christmas without a Christmas tree was practically unthinkable to the Germans. The Christmas tree, or Tannenbaum as it was known, was an old German custom that Albert, the German-born prince consort of Queen Victoria, spread to England. To the German soldiers in the trenches that Christmas Eve... Those trees were a bit of solace among the chaos all around them. A tiny taste of what waited for them back home. It was colder down in the muddy trenches than it was if you were walking around on top, although no one dared poke their heads up even for an instant, for fear a sniper's bullet would take them out. On the British side, Captain Charles Stockwell, of the 5th Welsh Fusiliers, was among those down in the trenches that Christmas Eve along the Western Front, He scowled and shivered and drew his coat tighter around him in a futile effort to keep warm. He was so withdrawn into his own misery that evening that it took him a while to realize that the sound of gunfire had all but ceased and was replaced by the sound of something else completely unexpected. The Germans were singing. He could hear their voices clearly, and although he didn't understand the words, he knew the melody quite well. They were singing Silent Night. He and many of the other soldiers were transfixed by the sound. Cautiously, Captain Stockwell and some of the other men began making the perilous move of poking their heads up over the parapet to see what was going on. The German trenches were aglow with candlelight. They'd actually lined up Christmas trees and decorated them with whatever they had on hand. When the Germans finished their carol, several of the British soldiers responded with a chorus of joy to the world. Captain Stockwell found himself grinning ear to ear and joining in, singing at the top of his lungs. By the time they were finished, a German soldier called out to them in English, Don't shoot! Don't shoot! We will send beer! The Brits were astonished to see several members of the German 6th Westphalian Regiment climbing up out of the trenches 
with their arms raised up over their heads to show they had no weapons. They walked tentatively out to the midway point between the trenches and shouted in English, Merry Christmas! This caused many English soldiers to follow suit and scramble out of the trenches to meet the Germans in the middle. The British soldiers who could speak the language responded in German their own holiday greetings. The soldiers shook hands and traded gifts of candy and cigarettes. Then they all began singing Christmas carols together, each singing in their native language, the sound of which only drew more and more soldiers out of their hidey holes. Eventually the soldiers returned to their trenches, but the caroling continued. Word began to spread along the western front, and an almost immediate truce began. An impromptu concert broke out as midnight neared. A few soldiers had musical instruments like violins, harmonicas, even a cornet, and they all joined in together playing holiday tunes. At midnight, a nearby church began ringing its bells as the midnight mass began. On Christmas morning, the festivities continued. Germans and British soldiers shared tea and swapped photos of their wives and girlfriends. One German officer sought out a British officer and gave him the Victoria Cross and some letters he'd saved from a fallen British soldier. The truce continued throughout the day. At one point, someone produced a soccer ball, much to the delight of both sides, and a friendly football match ensued there in the muddy ground between the trenches. Reports say the English won the match 3-2. to two. Both sides allowed stretcher-bearers to head out and gather the dead. They dug graves for them and held solemn funerals, during which times members of both armies would cross sides and bow their heads in respect for the dead. As the day went on, soldiers tied gifts like ration tins, cigarettes, and even newspapers to rocks and lobbed them over to the other side. Once a German boot came flying through the air that some of the men mistook for a grenade, only to find it was stuffed full of German sausages and chocolate. In many places, the truce continued through the day even after Christmas, which was the traditional English post-Christmas holiday known as Boxing Day. Some reports even claim that the truce continued in some locations all the way to New Year's Day. All of which makes for a great heartwarming story, but you still have to counter all the spontaneous gestures of goodwill with a healthy dose of reality. If you were to write a post about the Christmas truce on Facebook, you'd have to change its relationship status to, it's complicated. The entire Christmas truce didn't extend everywhere throughout the war. Most of it only extended along a stretch of about 20 miles across the Western Front, between the English Channel and Switzerland. It's estimated about 100,000 soldiers took part in the truce, spread roughly evenly among the British and Germans. And it wasn't like everywhere you went along the Western Front, everyone simultaneously put down their guns and began joining in the festivities. In some spots along the Front, it took hours of back-and-forth negotiations before the soldiers trusted each other enough to not kill each other. And even that didn't work all the time. There's one story that tells of a British officer who left his trench with his hand outstretched and still got shot by a German sniper. Prior to that Christmas, there had always been a few sporadic reports of impromptu truces between both sides, during which the opposing armies laid down their weapons and allowed each other to gather their dead. But none was quite so widespread as what happened that Christmas in 1914. And as it turns out, a mass truce like this would never happen again. 
As you can probably imagine, when word got back from the front, not everyone was happy about the cessation in conflict. Stories of what was going on enraged some of the military commanders on both sides. It's difficult enough to order your men to kill a nameless and faceless enemy, but it's even harder once you get to know them personally. Soon after, the high command sent down strict orders that all communications between opposing forces were to cease completely. The British commander-in-chief even published an official warning meant to frighten his troops that there were rumors the Germans were contemplating a major offensive by New Year's. There was even reportedly a young German corporal by the name of Adolf Hitler who angrily told his troops that something like the Christmas truce should never have happened in the first place. Have you no German sense of honor left? He scolded them. Although we can look at the Christmas truce as one of the most hopeful moments in the annals of war, we also need to consider that this only happened once in the first year of the war. When the following Christmas came around, Christmas cheer was in short supply. The men who participated in the truce and the men who were in the trenches the following year were a very different bunch. Since the truce happened in the first year of the war, all those soldiers were men who enlisted before the war actually broke out, which helped color their view of the world. At the time of the truce, all the new enlistees who signed up out of a sense of patriotism after the war began were still back in their respective home countries training. Events like the sinking of the British ocean liner the Lusitania and the massive numbers of casualties caused by German mustard gas helped ensure there would be no repeats of the truce. The Great War continued for four more years, until the signing of the Armistice on November 11, 1918. But the story of the Christmas Truce remains one of the greatest wartime stories of all time. It's been recounted and embellished numerous times in books, movies, and TV shows. And at times it can be difficult to separate what really happened from the legends that sprung out of it. It sounds strange... But back in the 1960s, interviews were conducted with some of the soldiers who were there in the trenches back in December 1914, and they offered an odd recollection of events. Many of those now elderly men would say they didn't even participate in the truce. Although when questioned further, they'd often admit that yes, they sang songs with the Germans and traded gifts with them, but they didn't think of it as participating in the Christmas truce. They'd heard so many stories over the years about this Christmas miracle that they no longer even recognized that they'd taken part in it. But although memories changed over time of the events that occurred back on Christmas 1914, we still have countless letters and diary entries written by soldiers on the very day it happened that probably gives us our best idea of how it all went down. One British soldier who wrote about it in a letter back home said, I wouldn't have missed the experience of yesterday for the most gorgeous Christmas dinner in England. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. I have a couple of new Patreon supporters to give shoutouts to. Thank you to Mike and Rebecca for helping support the show. Just a reminder, Patreon supporters get access to all sorts of rewards like stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our patron-exclusive minisodes. I know this episode is a little shorter than usual, but it's a favorite story of mine from history, and I really wanted to share it with all of you. Thanks so much to each and every one of you for helping make this podcast a success. No matter how you choose to celebrate the season, I wanted to wish each and every one of you a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, or just plain thanks. I hope you join us again next time when we'll be back in the new year with a bunch of exciting new stories. 
Thanks again.